The first preseason game is a wrap as the Seahawks backups thump the Vikings backups 24-13. And while that game doesn't count in the record books, it gave us our first real glimpse into Seattle's on-field performance in 2023. Scheme guru and tape analyst Maddie Brown joins us to discuss exactly what we can extrapolate from that first contest. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my clandestine producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Doing great, Jackson. It is officially football season. The Seahawks have played what some might consider to be a game. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. We're back, baby. That's right. And I am just a happy boy over here. The weather in the Pacific Northwest is perfect. Oof. It's charity golf tournament season, and we've got real live football to watch. The Seahawks got off to a shaky start in their preseason opener, but they look great over the final three quarters, and I can't wait to get into it with today's guest. But before we get to that, I want to remind everyone listening that you can still get your official Cigar Thoughts cigars directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. For those who are tapping back into the show as we get closer to the regular season, you can just follow the link and place your order to get these easy-to-smoke stogies rolled with 13-year-aged premium Dominican tobacco leaf. Or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, as many of you have, and we'll send you the deets directly. There's also a link in the show page on whatever platform you're listening to us on. You know, I belong to a bourbon society up here, and one of the members ordered a pack for his buddy with a huge cigar collection, and last week... He told me that his friend called them the best cigars he's ever smoked. And honestly, guys, he hasn't been the only one. So grab a bundle for yourself or as a gift. We would also love for you to check out our YouTube channel where you can catch entire episodes as well as video clips from every show, including this one. This is one of the best ways you can help Cigar Thoughts grow. So we're grateful for the few seconds you can take to subscribe and like the videos. Mike, you know we are coming off an incredible stretch with the positional breakdown series that just wrapped up. We've had experts from Walter Jones to Mina Kimes, Colby Parkinson, Dave Wyman, Antonio Cromartie, and a slew of others who went deep with us on each position group with the Seahawks. And now that we've got actual football to discuss, we keep the heat turned all the way up with one of the sharpest and most unique football minds we've ever had the pleasure of chatting with. You've seen his work over at Underdog Fantasy and Seahawks on Tape as well as being the co-host of the wonderful Seattle Overload podcast. And he's joining us from across the pond. He is Maddie F. Brown. The F is for finisher. Maddie, thanks for coming back in. Finisher, football. Um, you'll, you'll never find out my real name. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited. It's a new Seahawks season. Uh, officially, is, man. Like, we've watched a vaguely meaningful game of football. And mm-hmm. uh, that's generous. Well, I say, well, it is generous as well because we say watched, but there was some issues with the the broadcast, oh, and I was, was like, oh my gosh, how unfair! This is NFL Game Pass and DAZN ruining their new launch, which happened in Europe. But turns out, it was a local issue. It was, yeah, yeah. They got it figured out though, and and we were able to watch this game. And Maddie, I want to jump right into it. You know, on Thursday, Seattle got off to a bit of a rough start before settling down. And honestly, I thought they looked pretty polished the rest of the way, everything being considered, you know, preseason backups, et cetera. We're going to get your thoughts on who stood out to you. But first, tell me how much meaningful intel you feel can actually be taken away from preseason games. Well, 
it depends how deep you want to go because on offense, like everyone runs the same stuff in the NFL relatively. And then, I mean, and you think about how widespread certain schemes are. And also then in the preseason, there's ways of the coaches getting the information they need while calling very basic vanilla ordinary plays which don't really tell you much about an offensive direction and maybe sure. that's also because i i'm not a, a offensive mind in that sense however on the defense like each defense has a core identity which from that you can tell quite a lot and glean quite a lot about defenses so like as pete carroll said himself like when he was asked about if he could take much from the run game and how that their performance to stopping the run went he was like yeah, like I'm taking a lot out of the scheme that we're doing. Uh, he sure. went to the scheme. He wasn't asked about the scheme, but he went to the scheme because they, and he described it as you could see basically what they're trying to do. And it's that thing of the the basically, like there's a route to all of this. And I think like uh, defensively, we saw some some differences and I, I can glean a lot from that. And like Brian Flores on the other side of the football, you know, you can see his identity showing up. Like you can't just run a fake thing a fake route uh for the preseason like you, everything has a a route from which you can glean other things and in each defensive call so uh yeah that that was nice to see from from seattle's defense and uh let's start there you know i i was frustrated of course i i try every year not to read into too much especially with small sample size especially when it's a lot of guys who maybe aren't going to be taking the majority of the snaps during the season but how the front seven handled the run is something that was probably number one on my watching for list going into that game. And they really struggled the first few drives. And some of it was just not being there in the gaps. The Vikings were running through another was a lot of missed tackles. Pete talked about it in his mid game interview, missing a lot of tackles. And then after the first two drives, it felt like they really kind of got it together. Do you think that's more of like getting their communication together or is it just, hey, maybe it was nerves right at the beginning and, and they sort of started to settle in after that. Uh, so, I mean, maybe maybe nerves. I don't think so, really. What I'd say is, and as you mentioned, Carol mentioned himself after the press conference, you know, after the game, that they had to shake some rust off when it came to blocking, like on offense, but then uh, tackling as well. And I think tackling mm -hmm. was the main issue on that opening drives. That, that, that sort of stuff, the missed tackles in space. I also think like taking on blocks, there's a kind of uh, cohesion that goes with that and, and a playing together that you kind of have to find the the game time feel to, to that process. And it is the first time that they will have uh, played 100% contact level, uh, even in the sure. mock game, like they're, they're kind of fitting up and, and, and wrapping guys up. But uh, yeah, I, I personally, like, watching it back and, and then going through it to me what's exciting is it looks like the scheme they've tweaked a few things around where they're kind of not doing all of what they did last season they've they've improved on on that they've kind of lent on Pete Carroll's past uh, and pre 2022 stuff and they're kind of tweaking the system to be in simple terms it's more logical like the the run fits look cleaner guys are playing with an understanding of where their help is a bit more and okay I think what those drives show is their depth at certain positions like inside backer is questionable. Uh, we don't need to like, I don't want to crap on anyone, but there, there is a, a clear uh, depth issue uh, as mm -hmm. exciting as Devin Bush was, you know, John Rattigan in, in space is, is pretty slow. Uh, let's yeah. leave 
let's make it nice. And, um, you know, there's some other things there. Interior defensive line, the depth is, again, kind of questionable, and I think you saw that. But, like, a lot of these guys are fighting for practice squad spots, so I don't really read too much into that. I, I take solace from it looks like the scheme is going to be is much better, and I think everything else will fit off that and enjoy that. That's something that we've been trying to get to the bottom of this offseason with a number of other guests. And another reason I'm really excited to have you on, because I know this is your wheelhouse. But talk to me about these differences that you've mentioned between uh, a scheme that honestly felt a little schizophrenic last year and what you saw on Thursday. Oh, last year was was schizophrenic uh, or not even. Well, I'm going to show my misunderstanding of schizophrenia anyway. (laughs) Basically, there was there were so many different stages to last year's scheme where, you know, they were like, we'll do this, then we'll, we'll change this, then we'll change that, then we'll, then we'll change that, then we're going to fight fire over here. And it, it was just a mess. Uh, this year, the main thing is that uh, in, in simple terms, they're going to use more uh, one-gapping techniques up front. And yes, that fits the lighter types of bodies they have on the interior of the defensive line, of course. But also, it is going to clear things up for the guys behind them on the second level. Um, and I think also the second level is going to play with more certainty. So I noticed this where, when it was rookie minicamp and they did a mic'd up uh, Carl Scott uh, segment on their YouTube channel. Uh, they were just showing Carl Scott coaching. But you saw Cam Young, the, the rookie nose tackle, playing on the outside shoulder of the center. And it was in their nickel four down front, their even front. And the way that he stepped into the center and wasn't playing on the inside shoulder of the guard, wasn't kind of two-gapping, but he was one-gapping, they never used that last year in 2022. Like, the nickel front was a mess fitting the run. Uh, it's so much clearer now when you have the guy uh, one-gapping as the nose tackle in the, the nickel even front. And if you look at, like, before 2022, that's how Pete often did it. It's just in 2022, they didn't do it like that. And honestly, looking back at 2022, it kind of strikes me as, okay, uh, you know, Sean Desai's in the building as well. Uh, he likes those fronts where it's the the two gap in nose tackle in the, in the nickel four down look. But it struck me as sort of Pete giving Clint Hurt a lot of license to sort of do what he wanted to do. And it went sort of overboard into that, that Vic Fangio world without kind of... Like they, they didn't, they weren't able to coach it very well, and I really think you can ask serious questions of whether that approach to to the way they run, that they want to run the nickel front, uh, is viable. Like I, I think if you look across the league at how that fits the run, it doesn't. Um, like you can look at yeah. Denver, for instance. So, I, I, you know, I wrote an article about that where you know it's kind of a before the preseason, the Seahawks run defense is going to be all right. It's going to be good because you can just take away so much from that little technique change. And then in the preseason game, you saw a few more things which were which were promising, like how, you know, what I've spoke about, guys playing with a better understanding of where the help is. Uh, guys, there's just been more logic to it and a sounder approach to, to fitting the run um, and a bit more of a commitment. So the Seahawks let Al Woods and Puna Ford go this mm. offseason. They brought in Jaron Reed, who Pete was pretty explicit about being the nose. Do you think that allowing that guy to one gap after, you know, a pretty underwhelming season in Green Bay, you know, I don't think that anybody was all that jazzed about him coming back, you know, like it was more indifference than anything. Do you think that that plays more to his strengths in that position? 
Well, yeah, because in Green Bay, he was doing a lot of two-gapping, and the tape is rough in Green Bay, and we obviously don't know what went on there. Uh, but, like, I, I found it telling how, and when, when I say that, like, you know, maybe there was some cultural issues. I think uh, John Schneider alluded to Green uh, to Reed saying about how in Green Bay it, it, it wasn't great, basically. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the the if you think about, it's, it's telling how Pete Carroll, when they drafted Cam Young, uh, he was asked by a reporter, isn't he a bit lighter than in those tackles you've you've used in the past? And Pete was like, well, yeah, but those guys were enormous. Like, Al Woods was over 340 pounds. Monet is over 340 pounds. Like, Cam Young at 320 is not, not that light, is he? Uh, and then Reed, going back to him, he's just over 300 pounds, right? That, that's his target that the coaching staff have set him, Carol said. You know, some places list him as 313 pounds. And at first, you know, given that contrast to the Alwoods, to the, uh, you know, uh, Brian Monet's, that is kind of alarming. But if you remember uh, Brandon Meebane, he was, I think, 311 pounds. Like, he was a light in those. And how did Brandon Meebane get played in that kind of not head up, not two gapping, but in a shaded style mainly, playing the one gap technique? That's exactly what they're going to ask out of Jaron Reed. And clearly they think they can get him playing uh, better than the, the Green Bay tape. I think those assignments, though, Mike, they 100% suit uh, how, you know, Reed's skill set. And, and they've got those skill sets of guys who rather than two gapping, are going to be able to ask to play a shade more often, uh, one gap more, and and not have to do as much two gapping stuff. L- 2022 was an issue of, um, it wasn't an issue of our Woods or the guys they've let go in, on the interior defensive line not being good enough. Um, and it was that they were being asked to do things which were, were pretty messy for the rest of the, the run uh, defense, and it just didn't fit. Like, those guys the season before, in a more one-gapping techniques, uh, only two-gapping really uh, when Seattle felt it was uh, absolutely necessary rather than wanting to two-gap as much as they basically could. Um, Those guys were great in 2021. It was a really good run defense. So what changed? Well, the system changed. Now, now, you know, they've moved on from those guys and maybe things behind the scenes were said. Maybe, uh, you know, culturally they felt they needed to kind of shake it up a bit as well and get a bit younger and they, they want to get a bit more dynamic perhaps and outwards while he would be great as a one gapper in terms of his size he's not going to be the quickest guy into the backfield now they've got uh, reed mario edwards who i think is a kind of similar proposition but at the three technique spot they, they got guys who can kind of shoot gaps which one gapping does allow you to do if you if you knock your guy back and create the daylight you can get it through the gap if you want to take a shot uh, you can do that and again in the, this preseason game we saw kind of guys taking shots because they understand when the scheme gives them that opportunity and being and so when Pete was like we want to be more dynamic up front we all thought ah oh, Jalen Carter now obviously stuff happened there but if if you think about you know what they've done with the scheme and the kind of lightness they've got up front, the kind of uh, skill set style they're playing with, they're going to look more dynamic up front in terms of what Pete meant when he said that. Yeah, you know, uh, and and so taking all of that and keeping it in mind, when you w- were watching that game, who were the players that stood out to you specifically? Like for me, the guys that jump out were I was really impressed. Obviously, I thought Devin Bush played excellently. He seemed to be everywhere he needed to be, made a lot of tackles. Uh, Kobe Bryant looked good at safety, which was encouraging. I'm super excited to see how they move him around. 
Uh, Derek Hall flashed a couple of times. I thought Mike Morris looked good. And then on on offense, Drew Locke looked like he was in control of the offense, which was nice. Jackson Smith and Jigba was as advertised in terms of just open immediately. I mean, just like two steps into his route, he's open. Uh, who all stood out to you? Like, who did you walk away from that game saying, yeah, I really like what I saw from him? So, you know, I'd agree with what you said about Devin Bush. Like, he can run and he can hit. And the issue Seattle had with him, and but also the other inside backers, was how they uh, pick up, like, bootleg play action stuff. Like, who picks up that, uh, like, deep crossing route. Um, that I feel, felt like something watching back that they hadn't quite got to coaching up yet. Uh, and, and they will be able to do that in good time. But Bush's ability to find the football... For a guy who, you know, low-cost free agent addition, he, he had that serious knee injury, uh, he's had struggles staying healthy, but he had all the kind of speed and, and ability to run and hit that it looked like he had coming out and saw him picked so high in the draft. So that's massively exciting. Whether, you know, he can get on the field when uh, Jordan Brooks has been ac- activated off the PUP list today. Yeah, big news that's on that uh, front today. Absolutely. I mean, that's a separate question, but like Bush has movement skills that Bobby Wagner lo- no longer has. And obviously Brooks at his best can, is a, a serious mover too. So maybe it's a case of they, they find a way to work Bush in, but super, super encouraging because inside back of depth look, looks shaky. Um, yeah. Now a guy, a guy who I, I want to mention is Jacob Sykes. So he, he was wearing number 69. So maybe, maybe he stood out a bit more to you, you guys. Um, but uh, <laughs> he, he had some kind of juice. Now, as I said, uh, well, I think I said it, a lot of these guys are kind of competing for practice squad spots because, you know, we didn't see many of the starters out there, many of the first string uh, dudes. Uh, but Sykes is a 24-year-old undrafted free agent out of UCLA. Uh, he kind of played on that interiors, like the three tech or the, the defensive end in the 3-4 the stuff. But he just bought juice, like pass rushing juice, pop in his hands, uh, kind of that dynamic element to the front. That I'm, I'm intrigued by him. Uh, I think he deserves a special mention. Uh, up front, I just liked the way the outside backers were able to uh, set edges and spike into gaps in a way that didn't really happen uh, as consistently as it should have last year or just didn't happen mm-hmm. at all. Again, having that one-gapping nose tackle rather than a two-gapper kind of clears up that open B-gap for them in the nickel to take that shot. So, like, Mafe looked pretty good setting an edge. Yes, and- I'm, glad you, I'm glad you mentioned Boye. I thought he looked awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the way he gets on the field more often as well is proving himself as a run defender. And Michael Bennett, I thought it was really cool how... He, he was speaking on the broadcast, the bits that we did get to see. It's a shame we didn't get more of that, actually. Uh, yeah, about he how was he, great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how he, he taught him to use his hands more, and he was emphasizing that when he was coaching him up. And, yeah, the, he, he uh, honestly, as a pass rusher as well, I think his best uh, path to success is using more kind of speed-to-power stuff and, and maybe uh, getting a bit larger because as a pure speed rusher, he's kind of lacking the 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 tools to, to really make that work. But yeah, he, when he strikes guys with his two hands and, and gets off the edge, he, he looks really, really promising. Um, and then the, you know, the fun, go ahead. I was just going to say, you, you used one of the terms that I am really into when I'm looking at defensive linemen and edge guys, speed to power. And the guy from this draft class that I thought really encapsulated that for Seattle was Derek Hall and his ability to transfer that very quick titch, quick twitch explosion at the snap 
into actual power when he's engaged with offensive linemen. He had a couple where he really moved the tackle off of his spot and and was able to knife through and gain the leverage. Even if it doesn't turn into a tackle for a loss or a sack, those are the types of plays that really disrupt an offense. And I thought last year offenses were able to get way too comfortable against Seattle. Do you think that uh, Derek Hall's got the skill set to transfer and, and really make an impact against starters? Oh, Yes, I, I want to see more of him as well. I'm I, like that roughing the passer uh, call when he went inside yeah. on the tackle end exchange and looked really fluid doing it. I mean, what on earth was that? It was one step, and and yeah. it's also, uh, yeah, the court. It's just not roughing the passer. I, I can't imagine the coaches were too upset with him on that one. No, no, and I think you know it's preseason for the refs too, and it was early in the game, and they're like, ooh. It's a big hit that we probably should <laughs> yeah. throw a flag there. But um, hey, Pac-12 dissolved. The refs have to go to somewhere. They right? did it. Yeah. They did it to Kobe on that super clean shoulder to chest hit uh-huh. on that little crossing route too. They picked that one up, thankfully. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 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 But again, they were like, "Oh, that's a bit violent." Uh, yes, football's <laughs> a violent sport. That was awesome from Kobe, like textbook technique and flying from the post. Like the route wasn't his responsibility, but he's just there cleaning up as a post safety needs to do. Uh, I think if he didn't wear number eight, if he was in like 29, we'd all be like, oh, this is a free safety, but eight is kind of weird. But <laughs> yeah, yeah totally. uh, back back to Hall. He's also against the run. Like, like it wouldn't surprise me if he if he usurps Boye Mafe on the depth chart. If he can show like a like a quality win against the pass where he's not gamed up, but he just rushes off the edge and bends the edge, I think, you know, there's a real shot for him. But like against the run as well, he gets after it. He's really tough. His college tape was full of him being stout on the edge and fighting on the edge. And like high praise from uh, Pete Carroll afterwards saying that he's one of the fellas. Like he he gets down and dirty against the run game and does his job to help others out. And a lot of the clean run fits, like Patrick O'Connell made a nice tackle. Uh, you know, other guys flow into the ball. That's because Hall's doing like the dirty work to, to help everyone else out. So he's a great asset to have, even if it's just in the rotation uh, of guys like I, I mean I, go, I keep going back to it but last year they signed 35 year old Bruce Irvin off the street after signing the guy called Daryl Johnson off the street because they didn't trust Bruce Irvin to be uh, not Bruce Irvin they didn't trust Daryl Taylor to be an edge setter against the run on early downs like they they made him a pass rush specialist now well if Daryl Taylor doesn't want to do it Maffey will do it and Derek Hall is going to be able to do it so and they're juicy uh young prospects who are going to be hungry for as many snaps as they can get so yeah Daryl Taylor needs to uh, step up against the run or, or he just won't play as often just like last year just better that it's not these kind of vet free agents who oh yeah I kind of know that name it's not those guys yeah yeah let's let's switch to the other side of the ball real quick I thought after the first couple of drives the offense looked really crisp and and that's what I want to see in the preseason you know you're going to see some opportunities for guys to showcase some athleticism but I really want to see the team look like they're on schedule. I thought Drew Locke did a good job of getting through his reads. That's not been a strength of his early in his career. Uh, he was delivering the ball with some conviction. On the offensive side of the ball, what stood out to you? Um, th- that's, that is a bit harder because, <laughs> and I know you've had me on here f- for this, but I, honestly, I, I want to keep it positive. So Evan Brown looked pretty solid, like his his anchor. Hey man, we we'll take we'll take the bad with the good, man. Speak <laughs> no. freely. No, um, Evan Brown looked pretty solid, and I think it, he's an intriguing guy. And then obviously the fact that Olu Oluwatimi came in, 
And he also looked really solid he as did. a center. Now he's fallen behind slightly because he had a hurt elbow. But like, you know, he had a few, like getting up to speed with the the game of it. But against their lower string nose tackle, he was like just winning every single rep. And so I'd love to see him get the opportunity against higher string of opposition a bit more to see what he has because he has theoretically a ceiling that Brown doesn't have. Like he has longer arms. He, he just looks slightly uh, thicker, squatter. And I think he can really displace guys at the center position. But like, it, it, you know, it's early, but Brown compared to Blythe, like, uh, I think he has a bit of a, a squatter anchor. He, I mean, honestly, Browns would be okay filling in at guard. Um, yeah. Now, I don't. I didn't want to lean into the hype too much, but like you, ha- you have to give Jake Bobo his, his credit and the fact that he 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 went off in the in the preseason game, three catches for fifty five yards and a touchdown. Uh, okay, he he does run like he ran a. I mean, they say it was a four nine, but I think. It, there was some timing issue with his 40-yard dash. I think it was a 4.7. But, you know, he is pretty slow. He, he takes a while to get up to speed. But he's a crisp route runner. And, you know, the way he got Andrew Booth, who, by the way, like, you know, that's no joke. He was a round two cornerback out of Clemson. And if he hadn't been uh, injured quite a lot as a as a college player, I think he would have um, been a first-round pick. Like, he has special movement skills. He uh, turned that boy inside out. He did, and and what I'd emphasize on that as well is when you when you're releasing against press as a wide receiver, your main objective is to get him to move, right? But you have to kind of understand the technique he's going to play you with to to get him to break down and uh, and and step one way. You close the space to then create the space to the outside in Bobo's case, and to do that That's on right. third and long was very impressive, given it was a passing, uh, you know, a clear passing down. It was just a vertical fade route. Like Booth should have. His booth one job really on that play was to stop that route, but he got him thinking it was an inside release route, maybe like a slant or something, or or like a dig, and and instead got him to the outside. Now, what was super impressive about that to me though is the play before. So the play before, uh, Bobo was just given like a, it's like a against man coverage, which is what he got. It wasn't really a, a route that's going to get thrown to because it was the against press coverage and he was given a hitch route and the slot receiver to the inside was given like a, I think it was a seam or maybe like a corner route. But basically the idea would be that if Locke was going to throw to that side of the coverage against man, he'd throw the, the seam route. Like Locke is, uh, Boba's just in against that coverage as the bait route. He's not getting thrown the ball. But... What he was able to glean from that and then apply immediately for success was the press technique Booth played him with and the the release pattern that Bobo used was very similar but uh, to the outside. And so he he really got him thinking um, and he, he showed him some stuff. So that's something I need to tweet out. But um, yeah, that, that was super awesome and, and, you know, good for him. Now, his chances of making the roster, uh, Seahawks fans will remember... That there is a guy called Cason Williams. Cason Williams. Um, I was just gonna say, man, Bobo Fett. He's this year's Cason Williams. <laughs> um, yeah, poor poor Cason. I remember Richard Sherman got very upset about that because Cason uh, went off in that preseason and uh, local f- favorite as well. And it was unfortunate that he didn't make the roster. Well, Bobo, the biggest play he made on that Sunday was that special teams play. Now, Seattle didn't keep it out of the end zone in the end, but Bobo did to start off with that little bat on the punt gunner coverage. He so has slick. to be a special teamer. Now, yeah. he was getting some usage in the slot in this game, but generally the guy blocking him from making the roster uh, is obviously DK Metcalf. Now, 
in terms of receiver versatility, do you want a 4-7 kind of tall X kind of outside receiver guy? Or do you want, you know, a, a slot type who can probably contribute a bit more on specials or like a halfway house type? I think Bobo is kind of that tall possession receiver. And given they have DK, who's obviously not a uh, purely possession, like he has some real speed, um, it's a tough path for Bobo. Uh, yeah. You know, at a certain point, would you carry an extra tight end over him? Uh, you know, that kind of skill set. Obviously, Derek Young's hernia might help Bobo depending on how long he's out for. But like Young would be another guy blocking him from making the roster. So it's an uphill battle, but like he deserves a lot of credit. And and you know what? He balled out in the mock game as well. He he was uh, looking yeah, absolutely nice. Did. And, and what you're touching on is something that I think is really important to keep in mind. And Seahawks fans, we, we don't necessarily want to think about things this way, but you know, in football in these preseason, these guys aren't just competing for the Seahawks coaches. They're trying to put tape out because there's going to be a lot of cuts over the next two, three weeks and a lot of guys looking for extra teams. And you can poach off of other uh, teams' practice squads, right? The rule is you just have to put them on your active roster if you do that. So, you know, even if the path to making the Seahawks roster is blocked, Bobo's putting stuff out there that other teams are going to take notice of and, and, you know, may have a need for someone of his skill set or or a scheme that uh, he fits a little bit better. I want to throw some red meat on the grill here and talk about two guys that should have big impacts in actual regular season games. That's Jackson Smith and Jigba and Zach Charbonnet. What stood out to you about those two when you watched the game? Well, Charbonnet is was awesome just the way he ran uh, oh, people man. over. He like he destroyed uh, I think it was Lewis Seen the safety twice. Yeah. Had some twice. had some Thomas Rawls to him. <laughs> he did. Well, interestingly, uh Peter Engler who's a I think he's in the Seahawks I think he's a Seahawks research assistant. Uh but he he tweeted out at the time uh, a gif of uh, Beastquake um, won, Beastquake won, uh, when uh, the, after the second time Charbonnet lowered his uh, pads into scene. So clearly that's what the Seahawks kind of see in him, that mm-hmm. north-south ability, keep the offense, uh, you know, ahead of the chains, uh, efficient kind of runs, just get your reliable yards, whereas Walker's that kind of home run kind of uh, explosive threat, but maybe needed to improve on his efficiency running the football last year. I Certainly. mean, the, the, the numbers show that. So... He, that was cool seeing Charbonnet in action. Obviously, he didn't really get many opportunities. As Pete Carroll said, you know, the blocking was t- uh, slow to get going and, you know, that did impact him. He kind of made the most of what was there, though, and he didn't get any negative plays, I don't recall. And, nope. you know, you kind of saw him eking out what yards were there, which is, again, to my point, why they kind of felt the need to go and get him. Now, JSN is, uh, yeah... I mean, he's going to get open. And again, against these types of uh, defenses, especially maybe lower string guys, it's not really fair. Um, He looks as good as advertised. And I'm very excited about what he can bring, you know, when when we get real football. Um, I'd almost, you know, he's almost getting to the stage of uh, how much do we actually want to play this guy in in Uh football, which for him isn't that meaningful. Now, he saved Drew Locke from a kind of, Pick Lock did well to kind of throw it on a, a deep over route, but it was, uh, you know, maybe they don't have the connection there, but it was off target, I'd say. But also the way he just adjusts his root stem to way the way to the way that defenders are playing him, his ability to just be so agile. He has like ballerina feet, like he's very very precise and can take really short steps. 
I mean, you just see it all out, in, you know, all play out and he's going to be open. Like for Gino, it's just that extra guy on top of Lockett where, okay, Lockett can do some of that stuff, but, you know, he was protecting his body a bit, um, understandably, last season. JSN is going to be able to do all of this, that, that kind of stuff on the, the intermediate, the slot stuff. And yeah, uh, we saw it. Yeah. So, I mean, you said it. He looked as good as advertised. If he is who we think he is, who we're hoping he is, how does that affect personnel on the offensive side? Because Seattle ran a lot of 12 personnel last year. And then, honestly, they were probably most efficient in 13 personnel, which, of course, is one running back, three tight ends. They they would get three of those big guys out there because the thing about a good tight end, a proficient tight end, is that there's no tells, right? You don't know if it's going to be a run or a pass with those guys on the field. But JSN's got a skill set that's looking pretty undeniable. Do you expect to see more 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end this year, now that they have him in the mix with Lockett and DK? I mean, surely, right? Like, surely. Um, <laughs> they have to. They, yeah, absolutely. They do. And, you know, I know Noah Fant's uh, banged up at the moment, but, um Yeah. They, they 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 have to use it more, and it really then it's about having l- the formational diversity when they're in eleven to be able to run and pass like at a believable rate out of each look that they go for, and not just having certain formations for certain things. But I mean, think about what the the Rams were able to do at their peak. That kind of deal. Uh, I don't think you know twelve personnel is not going to disappear because they have two tight ends who are pretty damn good. And then a third one in Colby Parkinson, who, you know, has that kind of height, weight, speed of athletic ability and still remains intriguing. But like, yeah, 11 personal usage surely has to to increase. And the, I mean, this offense, like in, in, on paper, at least, I, I look forward to seeing it, but they can surely, it looks like they have the ability to beat teams however they would like. It's kind of up to Shane Waldron and Gino to, to get that done. But I don't see a a weakness uh, with famous last words. (laughs) Of course. Here's the thing that's most exciting to me about JSN. He's, he's going to have some highlight worthy plays and he's, he's got enough quickness and speed to put together chunk plays too. You know, is he going to be Deshaun Jackson? No, but that's okay because what I get really excited about is I think Seattle struggled passing in short yardage situations. And it almost forced them into running in those those situations. They're really good at the second, third level passing last year, but struggled finding those quick third and four, third and three, third and goal type of guys who can get open in that first level. And, and a guy like JSN, what I see is someone with a lot of the characteristics that has made Keenan Allen so successful, but with the short yardage wiggle of like a Doug Baldwin. And Seattle was so good in short yardage situations when they had Doug Baldwin because he could get open so quickly inside of five yards. I'm really hoping that's what JSN can offer. Well, and to that point as well, Seattle struggled at times when they were blitzed, uh, especially like on early downs. And JSN's that that kind of blitz beating answer again in that kind of short routes to the intermediate. Like he has that agility to just get open and, and also the intelligence and the kind of reactive athleticism to understand how a defender is trying to defend him, understand where the space is, understand the timing and, and what's required of him when, when he's running routes. So yeah, it's, it's exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to feel good about 
with this one, of course, but nothing is perfect. And I, I appreciate your restraint earlier, but <laughs> I do want to know what your concerns are also. I mean, we are not here to just fluff the Seahawks. We're, we're trying to understand this team as well as we can. So what did you see either from particular players or even like more holistic scheme stuff that has you concerned? Well, I think uh, what one concern would be, you know, well, one disappointment would be, uh, obviously it's sad. D. Eskridge's whole situation is sad. Like the fact that he's suspended for the first six games and the incident which happened, which don't, doesn't sound great. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, getting hurt on the opening kickoff, twisting his knee. Like, thankfully that doesn't sound too serious, but like this was his, you know, third year. This was supposed to be JSN pushing him. Uh, obviously Seattle knew about what was likely to happen when they actually decided to draft JSN because I think the incident was uh, February, January. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's so disappointing because he's really, really facing an uphill battle now. Like mm-hmm. we saw how hard it is for him to get on the field when he misses time early in the season and the same things happen again. So that is unfortunate and that was a disappointment for me. Like because, you know, he, he in theory, like the way that he can carry the ball on a jet sweep, that's a perfect little layer for the offense to to use in the way that Shane Waldron runs his scheme, right? He was the first draft pick of the Shane Waldron era. You know, he he was supposed to be that switchblade that kind of unlocks things and it's just never materialized. Yeah, yeah. So so that was sad. Uh and then you know, so the the inside backers, uh, I mean, Bush is, you know, Bush, Barton, and then Brooks, not Barton, Bush, Bobby, and then Brooks is, uh, that should be okay. But behind that is a bit worrying, like mm-hmm. Rattigan in space, uh, Young, not number 36, uh, they, they're just not, they're just not NFL, um, you know, depth which you i don't think you would like to have now patrick o'connell did pop i i think he deserves a mention uh mm-hmm. i i honestly Do you think that's something if if they get thin at middle linebacker kind of that second level and like we talked about with with dave wyman you know we're talking about linebackers we're generally talking about the off ball guys not the edge guys uh there's a lot of talk wyman mentioned this uh cromarty antonio cromarty mentioned this last week do you see them using Jamal Adams as kind of that? I mean, yes, he's a box safety, but almost moving him down into that second level more fully, assuming that uh, he can stay healthy this year. Well, what was cool about this scheme, uh, the scheme thing that I, I mentioned seeing, is that in the nickel uh, 245 stuff, they are now using the nickel. Uh, like he's more involved in the run fit. In 2022, they were asking the front to two gap a bit and then asking one of the high safeties to come and fit the run. But now that nickel is basically playing, if you think about like a four, three over and how the kind of Sam uh, linebacker off the ball was used, um, they're using the kind of nickel type like that. Now that would be perfect for Jamal Adams. Like uh, they had... um. Jonathan Sutherland doing it. Uh, yeah, and he he did fine. But like you can imagine Jamal Adams in those things where you kind of down at the line of scrimmage. Can he blitz from there? Is he just going to set a firm edge for us? Uh, so, you know, if you're looking at that from a, a, a more a wider level, yeah, that looks like a linebacker. So absolutely. And then in, in the dime stuff, I mean, yeah, 
they'll they'll run as much time as they can because like J- Jamal is a uh, yeah he's a player who d- close to the line of scrimmage you can do so much with and it seems obvious to me that that's the case but yeah the the way that they're running nickel is much more catered towards Jamal getting Jamal Adams involved when it's like a running down or the the run is a threat yeah you know i i think that we've talked a lot about how Jamal Adams is kind of the linchpin for everything and i, I think a lot of Seattle's defensive struggles last year and their, their inability to kind of figure things out is because I, everything we're hearing is they were kind of building that defense around Adam's ability to play in those two different levels. Uh, and when he was out, you know, they're asking Ryan Neal and Kobe Bryant to come and set edges and they did it willingly, but <laughs> that's not, not exactly what they thought they were signing up for. Whereas a guy like Adams is a very willing contact uh, player, right? Like he, he seeks it out in, in the same way that a guy like, he kind of reminds me of like a George Kittle, but on defense, you know, George Kittle has all of these skills, of course, but he's so willing to just hit you in the fucking face. And Jamal Adams is a hitter. And, you know, as fans, we tend to think about a guy who's a hitter as someone who's making a lot of tackles and, and Adams can certainly do that. But, I think it's just as important to have somebody that is willing to come up and just take on the pulling guard. You know, Cam Chancellor, of course, is the best I've ever seen at that. He didn't care. He would come up and he would just crumple an offensive lineman, even if it meant not making the tackle himself. And I'm hoping that's what they can get from Jamal. Oh, no, I'm glad you mentioned Cam Chancellor, actually. So, again, n- another kind of nerdy scheme thing, but... Mm-hmm. Do you remember that play where Cam Chancellor knocked over the the Cardinals guard? Was Eric it Eric Winston? Winston? Yeah. 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 So, like one of my favorite plays of the whole LOB era. Mike absolutely. Mayock just losing his mind on the broadcast. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Uh and and Cam is a Cam was a unicorn. Like I think it gets overlooked how good he was at the coverage that Seattle asked him to do. Mhm. Like he he might be the the most unique player that uh Seattle had out of all of those amazing unique players and yeah. Jamal Adams is unique in, in his own way but he is much more of a kind of DB body type so mm-hmm. I'm not comparing the two however the the front that Cam Chancellor made that hit in was like a, it looks like a 6-2 right so basically the the de- the defensive edge played kind of inside and Cam Chancellor played down on the edge on the outside. And so that's how I think the guard tried to pull, right? And and Cam was just like, mm-hmm. nope, um, <laughs> sit on your ass. And then made the tackle, right? And then he made the tackle. Yeah, damn, damn. And it was like a vicious tackle too. And the thing that got me on that play, since we're going down memory lane, is the amount of explosive force he had to generate to, I mean, just vaporize a very quality NFL offensive lineman and have enough juice to then launch himself into the running back and body slam the dude. Like it was a one of one play. Yep. And, and from a coaching perspective, perfectly safe, like shoulder contact, head was out of the way, head was up. Didn't, didn't just use the shoulder in his pec. But um, my point with that, with the the kind of six, two front is, and again, it's kind of talking about how Seattle is going to unlock Jamal Adams is that in the base stuff, uh, when they were running like one high coverage, so like cover three, um, what they're doing is basically out of their lighter body types because when Seattle did that 6-2 stuff, they had the Leo guy who's a bit of a bigger guy than a 250-pound, 260-pound outside backer. He he might have at times been a bit heavier than that. 
It, it was like Michael Bennett, for instance, who's like in the 270s, probably. But what they're doing now with the lighter body types is there's, it looks like a 3-4. It looks like kind of like a bear front or like a, 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 a like an eagle front. But post-snap, the outside backer to the strong safety side is kind of aggressively playing thick and, and sort of getting kind of inside, almost like a cooled movement, to then get the ball to the outside strong safety who's really being the force player and setting the edge. That's kind of what I speak about where, you know, guys are understanding where their help is and the techniques that they're playing with are, are really uh, done with that in mind. You can see that that's evident. And so Jamal Adams is going to be that guy. Like, they're going to get him on the edge, setting the edge and being that edge setter in the defense. And they're going to let the outside backer who starts wide and then comes inside build up speed uh, from that w wide position, build up more speed into power and from that kind of outside alignment. So from there, you can then get Jamal Adams rushing off the edge and, and do some cool stuff with that. But they have used like old scheme, but they've kind of blended it with the way that they've got the current personnel to, to ultimately put these guys in the best possible positions and, and get them in the, in the fun spots. So yeah, hopefully we see Jamal knock over a pulling guard, probably in his own way. He might slip it and, and then make the tackle for loss. But uh, yeah, sure. very cool. Yeah, well, and and he's got a great nose for the football, and and that's something that is just difficult to teach. It's, it seems like it's one of those things that you either have or you don't, and he has it. Now, Maddie, it has been a while since we had you on. I think it was about March, and uh, you know, many of us follow your insights on Seattle Overload and on Twitter. That being said, I would love to catch up on you with your feelings about Seattle's offseason in general. When we had you on before, we talked a little bit about free agency, the additions, subtractions. I want to touch on that with you first and then get your impressions of the draft as well. And we can keep it quick because I know you and I can swim in this subject for hours. So let me start with this. With free agency, what were your favorite additions to this team and what departures were you most bummed about? Uh, I've, I've, I've done like a complete, uh, well, not a complete 180. But I, I have uh, huffed some copium, I think, when it comes to some of the departures. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, my, my favorite addition, uh, I mean, Draymond Jones is super exciting, right? Like the fact that they were like, yes, let's do it. Let's pull the trigger. We're actually going to go big here. And that they were also supposedly interested in Zach Allen, who ended up going to the Broncos. Right. Like they were serious about going big and getting a different type of player there. Uh, and, and the way that Jones is kind of be used in the defense, uh, I think it just shows... I honestly last year, the way that they kind of got players and then the, the scheme they ended up running, it just seems like the front office was completely out of sync with what the, the defensive staff were actually going to try and do. Like think right. about, you know, the problems I spoke about with how they're using the interior defensive line, stuff like that. They just didn't have the guys um, now in, to play that style. Now Jones bringing his ability to rush the passer from the inside be disruptive, take his shots, which is a big thing uh, with being dynamic, but also understanding, okay, well, they did this. My assignment on this play was this, but I now, because of my assignment, because of what they did, I am now allowed to take a shot, uh, beat a block into the backfield uh, and make a play. That is going to unlock the defense in ways that, you know, was missing. And honestly, like the, the prime example of this is how Michael Bennett used to do it uh, back in the day. 
I'm not talking about as an interior pass rusher as a three technique, which Jones will do in clear passing situations too. I'm talking about when Michael Bennett was down to a tight end and he was setting an edge in Seattle's nickel forefront looks. He had the ability to smack that tight end back and shed outside like Maffei did earlier and Bennett was talking about. But he also had the ability to, when he saw the play, he'd just dart inside. And a lot of the times it looks like a cool run stunt. Uh, because the linebacker behind made him right, but it wasn't. It was just Bennett knowing what was he was getting and taking his shot and making the tackle for loss or, or just wrecking the play by making it bubble out or whatever. And Jones, I think, can do that, especially in the system. Uh, similarly, I, I'm excited about how, you know, later, much later on, they picked up Mario Edwards because having, uh, well, I may or may not have been uh, sent some uh, footage of uh, certain... Um, training camp stuff but um <laughs> mario edwards he he's looking real nice uh taking his shots too and that's like the opposite end of the spectrum like a very late addition at first you're like hang on he hasn't played inside for a while but the way he's taken to, to how they're going to play on the inside and and taking his shots that that leaves me excited uh but both those guys are going to be dynamic and um, they're, they're going to take shots and get tackles for loss in a way that didn't happen last year so we, one guy we didn't get to see, unfortunately, and I'm I'm really hoping that he's out there this Saturday, of course, is Devin Witherspoon, right? When everyone was talking up quarterback, defensive line to Seattle with that fifth pick, they go and they get a cornerback who I love, of course, but he does not have a clear path to starting. Talk to me about how they're going to deploy what might be the deepest secondary in the NFL, because of course, you've got stalwarts in... Quandre Diggs and Tariq Woolen from last year. Of course, they're going to try and find ways to keep Kobe Bryant on the field, but they're already moving him around. You have Mike Jackson and Trey Brown, who don't seem inclined to give an inch of their playing time to any newcomers. They brought in Julian Love. Is this, are, are we going to see six defensive backs on the field at times with these guys, or is it going to be more of like a rotation? Because there's a lot of talent they got to try and get on the field. Well, it's like we we're saying, like to get. You know, Jamal Adams in the, one of those linebacker spots, which would be advantageous. You know, maybe they that's another reason for doing the six DBs on the field thing, right? And that's um, kind of why I mentioned bringing him down into the box. You know, not only does it fill a need at linebacker potentially, but it also clears up a space for someone who's maybe a little bit more intuitive uh, in coverage. Right. So, and defense is like football and. F- well, not unfortunately, but it's inherently your defense is reactive to an extent, right? Now you can try and dictate a bit more, but like ultimately uh, Seattle this year will match what personnel they're getting. So if they get 11, if they get 10, uh, so one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers or, or, or four wide receivers, one running back, zero tight ends, they'll play nickel uh, or dime. Uh, and, mm. and dime's probably more viable if the... Uh, tight end is a receiving tight end or or the the one of the receivers is a is a tiny little slot but like the league really where the where the battle's being fought is what type of slot players guys have like is that slot like a, a really big guy uh a kind of mismatch dude who can run block pretty well well then that's when seattle matchup wise might choose to put jamal adams as like the nickel type uh then they'd mm-hmm. have quandre Diggs and julian love deep um if that guy is like a guy, a kind of a nifty slot, maybe that's where you put Devin Witherspoon in the slot and and you get him matching up using his man matchup skills and then you're able to play man coverage more. Witherspoon, no joke, playing the run either. But uh, in terms of like the consternation over like Witherspoon playing it, it, as a nickel, like 
that shouldn't exist. Now, I imagine he will also play outside uh, when it comes to real football. Like, it would be pretty crazy if he didn't. But they'll have different packages and different personnel groupings. So for for, for these matchups that I'm speaking about, so Witherspoon in the slot is, is is an exciting proposition because he's closer to the ball, closer to the line of scrimmage. That's therefore gives him a chance to showcase his ability to run, to hit, to blitz. Because if you remember, like a lot of his blitzes in college, they're coming from the outside. Yes, but in college, the the hash is closer to the to the perimeter. So the ball is closer to Witherspoon in, in right. NFL ball. If you're blitzing an outside corner, it's going to take longer to get there. And let's be real. The ball's coming out quicker in the pros. Absolutely. So you, you play him nickel, then you can unlock him as a blitzing uh, kind of weapon uh, to play run and pass. Uh, another kind of wrinkle to, you know, Jamal Adams's ability doing that kind of stuff. So yeah, Witherspoon will play, I think all the snaps, I think that there is a world where that that ends up happening. Uh, it's just how they make that work uh, with the rest of their the guys, and there's a very exciting battle going on. Like you, you know, you mentioned Kobe Bryant being impressive. Trey Brown obviously had an up and down game. Uh, Mike Jackson looked solid. Uh, gave up a tough catch, um, tricky route from uh, Jordan Addison, which actually was ruled incomplete. But like all, all these guys are going to compete with each other, but really. It's a case of is Trey Brown doing better than what uh, like a Kobe Bryant can can bring you, or you know that's whoever the basically when Witherspoon moves inside are oh, it's pretty complicated, but basically they're all competing with one another. Whereas I think Witherspoon's a starter and gets most of the snaps, whatever the case. Uh, and and it's not just their talent; it's the matchups. It it really is. Is what is the offense trying to do here? What um, you know, do we need Witherspoon in the slot here? Do we need him outside? Do we need Jamal Adams and a linebacker type in the slot here? Do we need Julian Love, who's kind of like a halfway house between a an Adams and a Witherspoon, right? Like slightly smaller. Um, so I think week to week it could change. They just need to get their their stuff in order, and and they will have a clear idea of. You know they'll they'll have multiple five defensive back names and personnel groupings and and six defensive backs maybe. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like Seattle's just got more chess pieces this year. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, and like they're 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 all different types of queen. They can all do a lot of different things, <laughs> but they're, mm-hmm. some of the queens are slightly taller and wider, and some of them are a bit smaller and more agile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and I think to me that's really exciting because something that was frustrating to me last year and Mike and I have talked about it is it didn't feel like they had a counterpunch on defense. It was like in some games and they all seemed to happen in October last year, it felt like they had the right matchups against what the other team wanted to do. And they were able to basically shut them down. I mean, they had a stretch where they were giving up like 15 points a game for a four or five game stretch. But outside of that, it looked like as soon as a defense or an opposing offense figured out what the defense was trying to do, and they were able to counterpunch. Seattle didn't have the answer. And it feels like now they just they actually have the guys. And I don't know how much of that last year was was even coaching. I mean, clearly the coaching was trying to find its footing as they switched schemes, but I feel like they just didn't have the guys to be able to match up with a different look from an offense than maybe what they were expecting going into the game. Because it's it's oversaid, but it's no less true. Football is a game of adjustments and it just felt like Seattle didn't have the personnel to adjust the way they needed to last year. 
Yeah, well, what I'd also say about that, that kind of sense that they're kind of scrambling is when you can't stop the run, and just speaking as a coach here, um, when you can't stop the run, uh, you, it's very hard to kind of get in a rhythm. You're, you're always off, you're off balance, like you, because running is relatively low risk um, and you're on the field for quite a while. You, you can't really have a counter punch or another option if you can't stop the, the run. And Seattle, for a lot of that season, couldn't stop the run. And that October stretch, what did they do well? They stopped the run. <laughs> so, yeah. and then they got punched in the mouth and their nickel uh, front was broken for the whole year. And then they tried to implement some very basic solutions that were from the past, but they were very basic and an emergency measure. And they kind of worked, but kind of didn't. Uh, and then they just got destroyed so yeah i think it's twofold you know one one thing that i overlooked when introducing you and i think that is really important for people listening to understand when maddie is talking about defensive schemes and making adjustments we we often ask guests to be a hypothetical offensive or defensive coordinator for us with the cr roster <laughs> maddie is an actual defensive coordinator for the london olympians so when when you're seeing this and you're kind of putting yourself in um, Clint Hurt's shoes, it's got to feel so much more liberating to have these guys this year, especially in the secondary, than it had to have last year. Sure. I mean, they they can, like you, it's kind of like we spoke about, they can do what they want from a coverage perspective in theory. Uh, they really, if the, if the coverage is bad this year, then it will be on the inside backers and, and the way that that is being coached and I mean, I don't want to bash Bobby Wagner, but because he is no longer able to move in the way that he was, then mm-hmm. he'll be very good at the the things that they ask him to do, probably. Like, he still can identify the run, key run pass very well, uh, move, uh, uh, shed blocks in the open field, slip blocks, that sort of stuff. But what he's asked to do will be a lot less difficult in theory or, or um, a lot less varied. Let's talk about that, actually. What did you see from him in L.A.? Because, you know, obviously watch every snap of the two games Seattle played against the Rams. But I kept an eye on on Bobby all season, of course. And, you know, he's one of my favorite players ever. And it seemed like he had they gave him a smaller menu in L.A. Is is that track for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, small, smaller menu because his movement skills limit what he's able to do. Like he's not slow. Don't get me wrong, but his change of direction ability and then long, uh, well, just uh, speed and acceleration is just less great, uh, and he's kind of stiff. And so you want to keep him in kind of s- smaller spaces. You don't want to ask him to turn and run with receivers like he used to occasionally. Uh, you don't really want him to turn and run and find routes. Uh, you don't really want him running uh, sideline to sideline as much. And so, like you said, the menu is is a lot more, uh, well, it's a lot shorter. There's not as much. And then that means other players then have to kind of pick up the slack. Um, and then it also means that you have uh, less overall calls. You probably have uh, easier identifiable weaknesses. And like if you watch the Rams defense, like Bobby on each play, in terms of like if you're grading him for pro football focus, you're like, well, did he do his job here? Yes, yes, he did. Um, however, <laughs> there's a bit more to it than that. Um, mm-hmm. And like some of the some of the stuff that uh, the Seahawks were able to to the Rams was because of how like the the kind of Bobby knock on effect. Uh, I think the way that Seattle is playing this year, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how they use Bobby. But 
I think that suits him to a T, like in the run game. And I, I think they they know, like it already early signs from the preseason with like Rattigan, who's like the third string uh, example of Bobby Wagner right now, like his movement. Um, I, you know, it looks like the coverage as well is going to be accommodated to Bobby, which makes sense, right? Like, why would you not do that? But um, yeah. It, it, there are, there's an argument that Bobby should leave the field uh, when it's certain downs and distances, certain situations, certain matchups. Whether that happens or not, because obviously he's a big character, or or maybe they find a way to get him rushing the passer uh, quite a bit, because I think he brings a lot as a blitzer uh, and down at the line of scrimmage. He has like an underrated ability to slip guys uh, as a pass rusher. Maybe that's how they kind of work him in, keep him on the field a bit more. Sure. Uh, with like, you know, Bush has real good movement skills and, and Brooks uh, can cover guys um, <laughs> despite um, popular narrative criticism, yes, etc. Yes, he can. That yeah. That is something that the overall Seahawks discourse has just gotten wrong. Hmm. This can finally be the opportunity for Bobby to put his hand in the dirt and prove that he could have been a defensive <laughs> end in a different time. That, I mean, that's what that's what they need. Like or, or just a three-tech, you know, rush three-tech. Put him over a guard and he'll cause people problems. That's so. right. That's right. With the with the second preseason game coming up on Saturday, after everything we've discussed, who are you most excited to take a look at and see them get some reps against maybe a higher string of competition than they did this past week? Oh, so Olu Oluwatimi is definitely one of those guys. Whether he gets Same. that shot, I'm not sure because I don't think it'll be a higher quality uh, opponent. Really, I think it'll still be like second stringers. But like he he is super super interesting to me. Now, it'll be cool just to see the starters. I don't know how long we're going to see them for. Pete, uh, Pete Carroll said that, oh no, Pete Carroll didn't say. Greg Bell reported that this is the game that the starters are going to play the most in. Like, I don't know what most means. But like the Geno-JSN connection, because I think those two have been working together more than like Locke and, and JSN. But also Gino is the starting quarterback, so we're going to probably see glimpses of what's to come. That's going to be very exciting. Uh... Now on the defense, I just want to get a feel for how it all looks with the starting line out there. Like, is Jaron Reed okay? Um, because that is kind of a question after after the tape, as we mentioned. Um, and like Draymond Jones, I think is going to bring exciting stuff. But yeah, the defensive front, I don't know if Bobby's going to play, but like how that all fits together, does the kind of logic that I've seen out of the scheme transfer to the starters? Like hopefully... Um, you know, are, are they playing fast? And then a guy who I should have mentioned at the start, but I, I kept talking and talking. Uh, Jerick Reed, the sixth round pick safety. Mike loves this guy. People people are high on Sutherland um, and they kind of play different positions. Sutherland's like that kind of bigger, kind of strong safety nickel, uh, like a Jamal Adams mirror, if, if you think about it like that. Jerick Reed is more like a Quandre Diggs, Julian Love, high guy who can play nickel, but he'd play nickel... Uh, when you're probably expecting pass or need a guy to deal with a slot receiver type more, you know, like a smaller slot. But like you won't have seen it on the broadcast because Jerry Reed's back there most of the time, although he did make a nice hit in the alley. But all of the techniques they ask of their safeties and they do a fair few coverages now. So like deep half, deep quarter, uh, uh, deep quarter, but looking to the trip side and playing like the, the third receiver vertical, uh, cover three in the post third, uh, cover one in the post third, all that stuff. Jerick Reed was real, 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 real good. Uh, like 
very good, like covering guys, uh, very polished technique, multiple techniques. Looks kind of like a digs, uh, the way he uh, bails out of stuff uh, and gets depth from play action stuff. Looks like a digs, but he made an awesome play uh, when the run came outside. Sutherland blew up his block. The the backer did a good job setting the edge and, and causing real issues, playing thick and then getting outside to turn the toss inside. And really just flew downhill and smacked the guy. Uh, and he he's run into the run into the ball, and I mean they have a real dilemma at safety. They've they've got so many intriguing types. I don't think Sutherland would make it through cuts. Um, I, Reed definitely wouldn't. Um, Brian, like you don't really want to cut him. How many safeties can you carry? Because I know. I know. <laughs> but like, yeah, re- watch. Re- hopefully, Reed number thirty two. Hopefully, like the broadcast shows a um like a wide angle. Or, or you can see uh, my Twitter uh, where I've posted like some clips and uh, Griff, my podcast co-host, he's posted uh, see Mike spin move. He's posted some clips of Reed as well. Like there's a play where he's in a he's in a deep quarter in cover four, and he gets an over route on his side off play action, and his efficiency of footwork to cover that and be real tight on the over route, uh, and just be that perfect layer to remove the primary like kind of route that they're wanting to hit off the play action super super impressive um and it, i i think you know more of these kind of intriguing safeties are out there like each year for, out of college because it's kind of how college is going uh with the kind of need to have these lighter but but not too light body types you can match up and, and play the matchup game with it all getting more spread out and and different body types on the offense as well and it's trickling up to the nfl and and that kind of uh slot uh uh, matchup battle that we spoke about earlier, but yeah, watch read. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, that's the thing is I, I think the second preseason game is always the most interesting one because I think it's the one, you know, the, the first game you're looking at the depth, the third game, you have to make your final cut decision. So you're really looking at the back end guys and getting them as much run. But the second game is these guys still, even if you're protecting them, they still need to get out there in battle. They need to see full speed with dudes who are trying to kill them because that's going to be their reality for the next four months. And, and I'm really excited about that. You know, I would be remiss if we ended the show without getting your thoughts on the draft. And this can be, you know, just kind of as, as an overview, because you, you bring such a unique uh, view to how Seattle can and should build their roster. So you had some expectations, you had some wants that you wanted to see them address. My thought was, you know, just give me beef, just, just hammer all these first and second and third round picks that you got with beef. They did not do that. They went the other direction. They went perimeter. They went skill set. They went corner wide receiver, running back, uh, a slightly built edge rusher. And then day three, it was just 1,200 pounds of dude over the next four picks. Now that the draft has had time to settle, we've got some OTAs, uh, training camp, and one preseason game to kind of add to our initial impressions. How do you feel they did with their draft? Hmm. Yeah, so I like how they stuck with going best player available. Uh, so like last year, I think, we all, everyone was unanimous in like, what a great draft. They did brilliant there because their needs happened to match up with where like the best player availables were generally going. Like the fact Charles Cross was there at nine and then so on and so on. Crazy. It all kind of worked out well. Now this draft, like Jalen Carter was so obvious. We spoke about him earlier, 
But um, the fact that they went with, they then went Witherspoon, that spoke so much about the importance of character. They then talk about how Witherspoon's like competitiveness is off the charts. I think they've just got a clearer idea of like the type of guys they want. Like they've been doing this for so long that you'd hope so. Now, no drafting is a perfect exact science, but they they seem to have really prioritized getting the right type of characters. Obviously, with how they ended up going, and I think one or two interior defensive linemen that they may have taken day two uh, went before they were expecting them to go. But they, 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 you know, kind of left them in a panicky kind of mode where they were like, we absolutely needed to get um, Cam Young. We absolutely needed to get Mike Morris. I mean, I lo- I really like Cam Young. Like, I watched him before, like, Seattle drafted him just because I was going through long-armed nose tackles. As, as you do. As one does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and he looked real seahawky, the way he strikes guys, heavy hands. And I think he'd have been drafted higher if that defense that he was in didn't move so much. Like Mississippi State moved so much on up front that there's only a handful of these snaps each game where he's just lining up and smacking the guy in front of him back. But he can do that. And he's slightly bigger now. And I'm, I really kind of want to see him. I hope he's healthy because I know he missed this game with a, a was it a sore groin? Uh, but... um. Yeah, if he can get out on the field, that would be nice. I, I see him as like a Jaron Reed mirror. And then Mike Morris is the kind of uh, Draymond Jones mirror. Uh, Mike Morris is uh, kind of a bit of a project, but what was encouraging is, okay, he's going to get moved against combo blocks when he's playing inside over a guard. So, by the way, or playing a 4 eye inside of the tackle, but um, so, by the way, though, does Draymond Jones. Like, he gets moved by the combos because these guys are lighter. It's what happens. You have to do things schematically, technique-wise, to, to alleviate the stress on them. But what was encouraging about his preseason game was he he wasn't getting completely displaced. He's, he's improved already with the way he strikes guys. Their coaching's paying off with him. Shows he's coachable. Uh, so, like, in terms of the overall draft impressions, like, they got a lot of good players. Like, they, they again, like, you look at it, the JSM pick at 20... Uh, they've got a lot of good players. The fact that Derek Hall, you know, I, I was surprised at first, but then you watch him back and you're like, this guy is like got some pretty special speed, uh, power, balance, uh, fluidity with how he strings move together. And he is an animal setting the edge against the run. Like, you know, Derek, Derek Hall, I was excited about because one guy that I was really hoping Seattle would take and and the way the draft fell may maybe he wasn't the right pick I, I just don't know how you say no to JSN at 20 <laughs> that's just I mean that that guy's got top 10 pick written all over him but you know I really wanted Nolan Smith and and he of course went to Philadelphia at 30 impossibly uh, out of Georgia but a total game record and I see so much of Nolan Smith in Derek Hall uh well the, the the difference for me is that Hall is like 260 pounds like he's almost 20 mm-hmm. pounds heavier you know mm-hmm. well he is he i think he might be over 20 pounds heavier like he is yep. a grown grown man and as as much as i kind of like smith's abilities to run the arc and, and bend like Hall kind of has it all uh i mm-hmm. i really watching him back um Gr- griff and i had been like oh that's a bit of a Odd pit, he's kind of stiff. Uh, but watching him back, he can really bend through contact in a, an impressive, impressive way. Uh, I, I was super, super uh, impressed w- watching his full body of work. It was kind of like um, 
with uh, Jordan Brooks, we we initially were surprised because we kind of knew the narrative about him, then watched all of his games and we're like, okay. And Hall was the, the same case of, you know, I'd watched him at the Senior Bowl. I'd watched one of his games where he didn't get many ops. And I was like, okay, he, he kind of looks a bit stiff. Uh, but no, the, he, he is... Uh, all, all, every down he can contribute for Seattle right away and and so like we're talking about their draft and they had a, a rich body of assets I mean JSN's going to get uh, okay he's the third wide receiver so and and he's behind Metcalf and Lockett so in terms of target share uh, you know it's going to be a bit tougher for him but he's going to contribute immediately Witherspoon should contribute immediately if his hamstrings are okay um, Hall can absolutely contribute immediately Charbonnet they I mean you can debate the merits of running back value and the way that they did that, but sure. like he's going to contribute immediately. And they, they really needed uh, uh, Travis Homer if it's possible to replace him, but a replacement <laughs> for that kind of skill set. We can only hope. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the run game inefficiencies that I spoke about. Uh, at, so, you know, they're, they're top so many picks. All these guys look really, really good. Like I didn't, I don't really have any questions about their fit uh, what they bring to Seattle, and and then they're saying they've all aced their character stuff. So then it's like you can't really complain as much as interior yeah. D line was a pressing kind of need. And then I'm looking at what they're doing schematically, and I'm thinking they might just be okay there as well. Man, that would be something. That would be something. You know, one guy. I'm and if either of you have have heard whether this guy's going to play on Saturday or not, but one guy I love that they picked. I couldn't believe he was there. And I think the seventh round is Kenny McIntosh. And, you know, you, you brought up Travis Homer and I think they really wanted that two minute, four minute guy who yeah, kind of a Jarek McKinnon type running back that is just going to be a weapon, but not a liability in, in pass protection. He's never going to be a guy you give 20 touches to something's going to have to go terribly wrong for that to happen. But to be able to bring in, fresh legs in the backfield when you need an explosive play. It's what Travis Homer got really good at in his final year. It kind of took him a little while to get there. Uh, you know, he, he Travis Homer really transformed as an athlete over his three, four years in Seattle. But I, I feel like McIntosh kind of has that already. So I'm excited to see him. Do either of you guys know if he's going to play on Saturday? I think he's still out. He has a sprained knee, right? Like that sounds fairly severe. Yeah. yeah. I think it was like two or three weeks. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so like to your point, I'm I'm pretty happy with the early returns on all the guys they pick. The question always is opportunity cost, right? You mentioned not taking Jalen Carter. If it, I mean Jalen Carter, if if this was just Madden and there's no off field stuff, Jalen Carter is the best football player in this draft, I think. But again, you're you're introducing a really difficult variable, and they felt obviously that wasn't worth it. You know, as, as fans, we tend to say, well, the team needs this and here's this player that can do that. They should take him. But I think good teams also look at what their roster is going to look like in two or three years and are drafting for that. And I thought they they pulled off some really slick contingency plans in the secondary at running back at wide receiver at edge with those early picks. Yeah. And, and like, you know, because we haven't seen with a spoon in action yet, uh, I think, you know, you kind of it's easy to forget how good he is. Like uh, yeah. his uh, Marty couldn't stop talking about him, man. There you go. I mean, he knows a lot more about uh, DB play than me, and I, you know, I'd agree with him. Um, the the thing with uh, with Witherspoon as well is when you watch him back, you're like, this guy, the technique he's playing with is very much kind of like how Carl Scott would uh, would would coach these guys. 
and the, his ability in off coverage to to click and close, uh, to, to to burst, uh, and to be tight on roots and stay square for as long as possible, and play top down and stuff, and remove kind of intermediate stuff and the deep is big, like real, real big. Along with the fact he hits like a much larger player and is mm-hmm. like a competitive guy. And the fact Pete Picaro compared him to Troy Polamalu in his post-draft press conference in terms of his uh, competitive nature is just crazy high. He had no need to do that. And he just went out and said it. Um, so he, That he is knows. an insane thing to say. And it's easy to forget that Pete Carroll recruited and coached Troy Polamalu. So he's not talking out of his ass there. Yeah. Uh, and then... On on Witherspoon as well, what interested me is like his press coverage technique was fairly like uh, it, it wasn't that developed. Like it, it, he was pretty patient in it, and he he had some physicality, and you know fairly good at transitioning from it. But like there's stuff that they can mold and coach up there that they'll like. Uh, I need to actually see what he ends up using. But um, again, just like, like another plus point of this guy was really good in college and yet we could, there's still room for him to grow and there's no reason he won't grow. Uh, and yeah, just that ability to move him around, be like the, the, the corner version of a, of a chess piece, you know, like you can definitely get a lot more out of him than just playing him on at the, the left side every single snap. So yeah, Carter sucks. Cause he was like the perfect guy for what we thought they're going to run on defense. Yeah. But Witherspoon is that too, just a DB. So. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. There's there's lots of ways to add value, and I'm going to be super excited to see these guys develop over the next, uh, not only a few weeks, but really over this first year. Look, Maddie, this has been awesome, man. I want to thank you personally for the insight you always give us. I know those who are listening appreciate it as well. Thank you so much, man. Oh, of course. Thanks so much for having me on, and uh, you guys are doing a very good job with this, so keep killing it. Uh, <laughs> that means a lot coming from you, man. There you go. Uh, and shameless plug, check out my Substack Seahawks on Tape. Um, Please it's do. It's free to subscribe, but if you want to give me money, then I'd love that. But that's where yeah. I explain all the complicated stuff with video and pictures and like actual words and it, trying to make the complicated stuff easy to understand and and explain why the Seahawks do certain things. So it really go. is a sicko's paradise. It it is, and and. Maddie is one of the best resources out there to be the smartest guy in the room when your friends are talking about the Seahawks because he's going to give you stuff that just isn't going to be on the major network. So make sure you're checking that out. And and look, Maddie, before we get out of there, out of here, in addition to the Substack, let people who are listening know where else they can find you. Well, I also do a similar sicko thing uh, with See um, Mike Spin Move and uh, Ty. Dane Gonzalez, uh, C. Mike's been with Ben Griffin Sturgeon, uh, a podcast called Seattle Overload. Uh, it's just a Seahawks podcast. It's going to be twice a week, maybe thrice a week in season. So check that out. Uh, we do a film review stuff as well. And it's on my YouTube, which is Matty F. Brown, where, again, there's some tape there. There's some uh, tape breakdowns going on there too. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Matty F. Brown. All right, that's going to do it for us today. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media as well. I am on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is on Twitter at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram and threads at Cigar Thoughts NFL. And on YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok at at Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. 
Finally, be sure to check out CigarThoughtsNFL.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thought cigars, or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the details. When you buy those cigars, let us know on Twitter or Instagram with a pic and tell us what you think. We've been getting a handful of those over the last couple of weeks. Very, very cool to see. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. We know you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life, and it is an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing this show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making it happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Mm-hmm.